Swamiji, is it possible for people to experience God? You can't know truth unless you experience it. God has to be experienced. And there are many ways of experiencing Him. But uh, we, first of all, must understand that as I know somebody recently said to me, I'm not very religious. I said, neither am I. <laughs> and the thing is, religion is outward. It's a belief. People tell you that all you have to do to be a true Christian is to believe. Well, people used to believe the world was flat. That didn't make it so. So it's a matter of experience. And the more you experience of the divine presence, the more you believe in it, of course. But otherwise, belief is more like a scientific hypothesis. Then you have to prove it. <clears throat> and proof is the belief, is the experience. So meditation is the laboratory in which you... You could call it that. Yeah. But what are the ways that you experience God? Well, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, in the... <clears throat> <clears throat> excuse me, in the 11th chapter, it speaks of God suddenly manifesting himself to Krishna, to Arjuna, as thousand arms, thousand legs. It sounds a little weird that way. But in fact, what he's saying is that God became the whole universe. God is the universe. God had nothing to make the universe out of except his own consciousness. He couldn't do it the way a carpenter builds a table, goes up and buys the wood and so on. He had to manifest it. We can say these things more easily now than we could 200 years ago because now they know, now science has discovered that uh, matter doesn't exist except as energy. It's a vibration of energy. And so it's much easier to understand that energy too is only a vibration of thoughts, and that thoughts are a vibration of consciousness. So it's easier nowadays to understand that the whole universe is God's dream. We are God's dream. We're all manifestations of His consciousness. In a sense, we can say that we're just as old as God is, because there's no other reality. You can't go to hell forever. Your soul can't be destroyed, because you can't destroy God. You are eternal, and you can't suffer eternally, but you can think that it's eternal, and it seems eternal even when it's five minutes long. That's the nature of suffering. It seems like it'll never end. But there are certain aspects of God that bring us toward Him, and those aspects are numbered eight. Eight in number, I should say. Um, there's love, obviously. I think of love as bliss in motion. But uh, bliss is the primary, the supreme manifestation. But that bliss manifests as love, as joy, which is lower than bliss. It's an octave lower, you might say, because it's a particular up kind of wave. Um, peace, calmness. Calmness is positive, peace is negative, in the sense that peace, you feel peace when there's no more agitation. Calmness has an actual power in its vibration. And uh, sound, the sound of Om, the sound of uh, the Holy Ghost, the Word of God, you might say. Then light, 
and power and wisdom. These are the eight aspects of God which we people go usually through one path or another to that ultimate bliss. And uh, the best of all is to feel him as joy and as bliss. But um, wisdom is not dry. There's, this, there's joy in that wisdom too. There's joy in that, in that uh, sound too. There's joy in that uh, light. Everything, every aspect of God has really this joy behind it as well. Swamiji, going back for a moment, um, it's a little tangential to the uh, eight aspects, but you were speaking of suffering and how it's not eternal, but it seems eternal in that experience or in that moment. Does that imply that there is actually a passage of time in the astral world? Because of course there's time. It's a different time from now, but... Uh, Anywhere there's, where there's movement, there's time. Mm -hmm. And uh, therefore you have time and space. As long as you've got space, you've got to have uh, movement because it wouldn't exist without movement. And uh, therefore both would be there. So time in the astral world, if a, a soul goes to heaven, they could be there for hundreds of years, yeah. but then their time in heaven would end. When they have awakened desires for the world, they come back. Once you've overcome all desires for, the, for any worldly experience, then you stay there. That's the state of mukti, when you've gone beyond all worldly desire. Desires for beautiful sounds and beautiful scenery and beautiful colors and so on, those can be fulfilled better there than here. So if you have that kind of worldly desire, you don't have to come back for that, unless you like it in a physical form. But uh, Swamiji, you mentioned that love is a lower octave of bliss. And so also is suffering. Can you tell us <laughs> more about that? <laughs> well, when you feel bliss, there's no opposite. But when that one... <clears throat> excuse me, my voice isn't clear. Um... When you are in God, there are no opposites. When God manifested himself, then he had to do it through vibration. Part of his consciousness had to vibrate. And where you have vibrations, you have movement, let's say left and right from a point of rest in the center. That movement is uh, what creates duality, so that every good has to have its opposite bad. Um, every earth, earthly light has to have its opposite darkness. Every, uh, everything in this world is dual. Thus it is that if you allow yourself to get emotional about anything, you remember even when my guru met his guru in Autobiography of a Yogi, it, the joy of their meeting, there was some emotion in it too. And therefore they had to have that painful scene at the end when he refused, when Yogananda refused to do what his guru told him to do, which, which was to go back to his family. But in every physical happiness, every human success, you can't just go keep going in the same direction. This is the great delusion of worldly ambition. 
people think that they'll become wealthy and happy and successful and everything. They can't. You reach a certain peak, then you've got to experience the opposite. And so life is going to be always just this up and down, sort of like a cartoon I saw in World War II when Jeeps first came out. And they were always shown on the countryside, bouncing along. So in this cartoon, it was on a clear highway, still bouncing. <laughs> but that's how this, this world is. So this is why it says in the Bhagavad Gita, don't be even-minded and cheerful. Don't let anything outward disturb you. And one of the things on the spiritual path is to learn to take everything with an even mind. That does not make you apathetic. Rather, your source of joy is inside, not outside. As long as you think it's outside, then you will have to experience the opposite of it. But if you understand that your reaction to the joys and pains of this world is in yourself, then um, you don't feel it out there and there is not this up and down. That's really the secret of Kriya Yoga, bringing the, the energy up and down the spine in the what are known as the Irda and the Pingala nerve channels. They're the reactive process. If you can bring the energy into your own inner reactive process, then you go into the deep self. Mamaji, um, I want to just go back in a little more general way. Is, is there any fulfillment to be found in this world or any fulfillment no. in this world? No. There is temporarily. You get what you want and you find it isn't what you want. You get what you want and suddenly it's lost. It's sort of tantalizing because the prize is always there and you grab it and it's always... <laughs> snatched out, you never find fulfillment in this world. You may think you have, but it's always a thought. A man works hard to become rich, finally he becomes rich, and he rests about two seconds and then he begins telling himself, I'm happy, I'm happy. But in the end, he's not happy. One man, Yogananda Metti, worked hard and finally became a millionaire. He said, now are you happy? The man said, no, I have a friend who's got 40 million. I'll never rest until I get 40 million. And he died of a heart attack before he reached that 40 million goal. So, Swamiji, it sounds dangerously like we live in a meaningless universe. Then. Absolutely meaningless. The whole meaning of it is that God, it's the nature of bliss to want to express itself. And if you get into that bliss, then you enjoy the drama. And you, you can come away from a hamlet and where everybody is killed in the end, and you say, what a good show. But you can't enjoy it as long as you're a part of that show. Then you suffer with the show. So if you can see this world as a dream, if you can see it as a drama, then you enjoy it. There's this one saint in India whose prayer he would come out and he'd look at the sun and the river and everything and he'd clap his hands, he'd say, well done, God. <laughs> you can enjoy everything with the joy of God. But otherwise it's a nightmare of fear. 
what will happen next? You just don't know. So Swamiji, what would be the motivation for acting in such a world if there isn't fulfillment to be found in it? There's no motivation really, except your own delusion that you're going to find what you're looking for. But you have to act in such a way as to expand your ego from this little self-centeredness into the cosmic oneness. Oneness with God, oneness with everything. Therefore, we should always act for the welfare of others, not for our own. But if you can break that sense of ego, this is mine, this is my success, this is making me important, this is what I want. If you can think in terms of helping other people, there is happiness in that. It's a relative happiness, but at least it, it brings you what you want compared to thinking of self. So the great masters come into this world free to help other people. They come to bring God to other people. That's the highest service you can render anyone.